Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest that is happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Cairns, your host, with Nathan Hine, Jordan Haynes and Vicky Merritt. We build up to this weekend's Russian Grand Prix in Sochi. Max Verstappen remains in the championship lead by five points over Lewis Hamilton, but the Dutchman goes into the weekend with a three-place grid penalty for that collision with his rival at Monza. Hello, Jordan. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Vicky. How are we all? It's round 15 this weekend of 22 for Formula One in Sochi. The last sort of European race-ish of the season, we've been in Sochi in Russia. Nathan, we begin with you on a track which is not particularly the most liked by fans. But given that, we could be in for some rain this weekend as forecasted. Yeah, that would certainly spice the action up around Sochi. As you say, not the track known for the most overtakes in the world in Formula One, but um, some definitely some interesting aspects to this weekend's action with Verstappen taking at least his uh, three-place grid penalty and the possibility of rain, and uh, that would certainly make for an interesting weekend. Jordan, um, Russia hasn't quite hosted the most classic of races um, since it joined the F1 calendar in 2014. But this is the penultimate time that Formula One is going to be racing at this circuit before it moves over to the Igora Drive Raceway near St. Petersburg in 2023. Sochi, rain, we could deal with a, a wet race in Sochi because we've not had one yet over there. No, I think it'll be good if we do. Um, but then we just want it to actually go ahead, unlike Spa. Um, but I have no doubt that if it does rain, it will go ahead. Um, but it should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it if it does rain. Um, if it doesn't, then there's nothing we can really do about it. And it's just one of those things. Mm -hmm. Vicky, a warm welcome to the series itself. Um, it's been a magnificent Formula One season in terms of the controversy we've had, the amount of action we've had at each of every race pretty much um, throughout the year. How are you finding 2021 Formula One for yourself? Um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. They, obviously, with Spa, we had not racing. Um, but then the battle between Lewis and Max and actually Red Bull bringing it to Mercedes this year has just made it like more exciting than previous years with Mercedes taking it basically from the beginning. Yeah, and absolutely. And with Mercedes obviously clinching both drivers and constructors championships in the last seven years i think this year is probably the most toughest they've um the face since the turbo hybrid era began in 2014 now this has obviously been mercedes's worst season since 2013 um in terms of race wins by this stage of the year considering they've only won four times from 14 races um for mercedes which is by far the least they've managed to accomplish but given what they have they are known to do in terms of comebacks they usually do well towards the latter part of the season, but we'll wait and see. Nathan, with Russia this weekend, as I've mentioned the stats about Mercedes's number of wins in comparison to Red Bulls, that is doubled. You have to say this is a must win. Even though Mercedes are leading the Constructors' Championship, this is a must win race for them. Yeah, I absolutely agree. We're, we're not quite sure exactly the nature of the calendar between now and the end of the year. But I'd say of the races left, this is their best track by far. And Red Bull have multiple opportunities, if we go on what we know at the moment, to, to bag some wins in possibly Mexico and Brazil and Jelly, you would think. 
So this weekend, this is their most dominant track in Formula One. Mercedes won every single time. Of course, we've only raced in the turbo hybrid era where Mercedes have been very dominant until this point. But for a team to have a 100% win record is something extraordinary. So this is an absolute must for Mercedes to get the win, especially with Max's penalty this weekend. So, yeah, all, all focus for them to bag that victory. Yeah. Jordan, Max has this three-place grip penalty hanging over him going into the weekend in Sochi. How should Rebel play this one out? Because on a track which I would say they've done okay at, at in previous years, because if you remember in 2018, Max came through from the back of the field because he had a, an engine penalty. He came through the field like a bullet. And I suppose the fact that he had a fresher engine helped. But do Rebel play the game of just taking the grid penalty and going to the back of the grid and securing the knowledge that they've got this three-place grid penalty hanging over, over Max Verstappen anyway? Um, I think they should just do it, take the engine penalty. It's it's bound to come in the next couple of races anyway, so do it at a track where you know Mercedes are dominant at, but where you can get your way back up the grid. Um, so I do think they should just bite the bullet and take it this weekend. He's already got a three-place grid penalty, as you said, so it's... It's, it's just common sense, really, just to take it. Mm -hmm. Vicky, what do you reckon? Because Red Bull have never won in Sochi, and you know the fact that Mercedes have won seven out of seven times in um, in Sochi. But you'd rather be taking a good penalty in one race than taking good penalties in two separate races. And given that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes are bound to take a good drop for an engine penalty at some stage before the year ends, if you're Red Bull, Surely you may think, well, we might as well take the engine penalty here if we're being given a good penalty um, by the stewards. Yeah, like with the rest of the race of the season, they'd want to take two in one go instead of have it looming, thinking, right, we're going to have another grid penalty, an engine penalty later on in the year. And we've seen it like we've, we saw with Max a few years ago, overtaking everyone, but even like last year with Alex and having the Alex Albon battle with Lando and George, you saw the Red Bull could overtake and could battle. So if they've took the penalty, they can still challenge at Sochi. Mm -hmm. And I reckon so too. And looking at the championship standings going into the round in Sochi, Max Verstappen has a five-point lead over Lewis Hamilton. He has 226 and a half points to Lewis Hamilton's 221 and a half. Now it's Valtteri Bottas in third place with 141. Then it's Lando Norris in fourth on 132. Sergio Perez is in fifth on 118. And then it's Charles Leclerc in sixth on 104. Color Signs, his Ferrari teammate, on 97.5 in seventh. Dan Ricciardo, with that victory last time out at Monza, he is eighth on 83 points. Pierre Gasly in ninth on 66. He didn't score last time out, though, in Italy. Fernando Alonso in the top 10 on 50 points. Esteban Ocon, his teammate, in 11th on 45. Sebastian Vettel, 12th on 35, then it's Lance Stroll in 13th on 24, then it's Yuki Tsunoda in 14th on 18, George Russell in 15th with 15 points, Nicholas Latifi in 16th with 7, then it's Kim Raikkonen in 17th with 2, Antonio Giovinazzi in 18th with 1, leaving Mick Schumacher, Robert Kubica and Nikita Mazepin yet to score a point. Jordan, with the championship as it is, five points is still nothing, because if Hamilton was to win the race and Max Verstappen was to finish second, Hamilton would be at least a point clear of, of Max, and even that still feels like nothing with all the races we've still got left. 
Yeah, I think it's so close. We say this every time when we come to the, like, the championship points and that every time we look at them, that it's so close and it's coming obviously to towards the end and it could go either way. If you never know, they could have both Max and Lewis could have another crash at another circuit, which obviously we don't want, but any it could play out in anyone's favour. Um, but it will be interesting to see who will be out on top or if there'll be a bigger lead. It's just, um, I can't wait. Nathan, the biggest gap we have had between the top two this season in between races is 33, which was from, it was in between the sprint qualifying itself and the Grand Prix itself. So 33 is the biggest gap we have had all season between the top two. And I, I think it's only safe to say this is most certainly going to go down to the last round in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I hope so. It's It's been a long time. Well, it seems like it's been a long time since we've had a championship fight that's gone down to the last race, and especially two drivers of this calibre from two different teams fighting it out. It's what every, every Formula 1 fight dreams of. And for, for this past uh, few years where Lewis uh, has been dominating Formula 1, to be brutally honest, it is so fantastic to see um, a true challenger in Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing bringing it to, to Hamilton and uh, they're going to have to dig deep if they want to win this championship. Mm -hmm. Vicky, with obviously Max and Lewis shooting off into the distance, I mean, the battle for third place um, between Valtteri Bottas, Lando Norris and Sergio Perez, can you potentially see Bottas coming away as the favourite from Russia for finishing third? Because Sochi is the last circuit he's won a race at. And I think this could potentially be the last chance they could win a race for Mercedes before he does go off to Alfa Romeo for 2022. But if Lewis is behind him in second place on the road, I think it's going to end up being a repeat of 2018, don't you? Yeah, seeing that Valtteri Bottas won last year, it looks likely that he could stay in front of Lando and Sergio Perez. But it's all down to if turn one incidents first lap incidents like last year and if Lando can have good races consistent races like he has the rest of the season but depends where Valtteri starts it depends on how he'll do because he pulled through at Monza but obviously it's a different track mm -hmm. and looking at the Sochi Ostrom um, circuit as well that has two DRS zones 18 corners six to the left and 12 to the right it's a 5.8 kilometre lap, 53 laps it is. And this is the eighth running of the Russian Grand Prix this weekend. And of course, it could be the first wet um, Russian Grand Prix if superstition was to be believed with the rotor forecast at the moment. The Constructors' Championship sees Mercedes hold at the moment a, a, uh, an 18-point lead over Red Bull with 362.5 points playing 344.5. McLaren are 13.5 points clear of their rivals Ferrari in the fight for third place. They have 215 to Ferrari's 201 and a half. Then we go to Alpine in fifth on 95. They are 11, queer, uh, 11 clear of Alvatari in sixth on 84. Aston Martin are seventh on 59 with Williams eighth on 22. Alfa Romeo ninth on three and has still yet to score a point so far in 2021. So 
the question is, guys, with the weather forecast as it is, is it going to really, really rain? Because at times this year, you know, whether it's in Hungary, uh, in Hungary or in Austria or uh, Spa or wherever it may be, I think most uh, most occasions this year it hasn't. It was forecast to rain, and then it doesn't rain on the race day. But Vicky, where's your vote going on this one? Is it going to be a wet race this week? I'm saying no because we've had it last year as well with like Barcelona. It said it was going to rain. And soon as Barcelona finished, it started to rain. I like a dry race. I'm not a fan of a wet race, so I'm hoping it'll stay dry. Yeah. Nathan, um, I don't know if you want to be on the side of Vicky. I mean, I am a fan of dry races because of, you know, Formula 2 and Formula 3, because I think they tend to struggle more in the wet when it comes to overtaking. But where's your standpoint on this? I mean, do you think a wet race is what Sochi needs? Because regardless of what happens, it's not going to be hosting a Formula 1 race the year after next. But it could really do with a good show. I mean, we've all we've seven dry races in Sochi. I wouldn't mind seeing a wet race for once. Yeah, I tend to agree. Sochi hasn't exactly produced the best Formula One races, so it'd be exciting to see what kind of a race plays out in in the wet. Uh, very limited overtaking opportunities for Formula One in the dry, perhaps down into turn two, and then uh, down the, the back straight. Is perhaps your, your two best overtaking opportunities in the dry. But in the wet, with alternative lines, especially through turn three and four, it'd be interesting to see um, what, what kind of action we get and inevitable crashes or just as the drama of what we'd like to see in, in Formula 1. Mm -hmm. I think the only problem with um, wet races as well, Jordan, is obviously what we had at Spa with, you know, only completing just one lap on the classification. Um, I, I don't know, because the thing is, we've got a, possibly a wet qualifying as well, so not, a wet, not just a wet race, but wet qualifying and possibly wet practice as well um, to go with it. You know, if we end up in a situation where half points are being dished out again, I mean, if Hamilton, Verstappen and Sainz were in first, third and tenth, that would pretty much put them back to a, a whole number, if, that, if you know what I mean, with the, uh, the points as it is, because they're on 0.5 on their points tally. But I don't know. I'm pretty much on the fence with whether I want it to be a, a wet race or a dry race. Uh, I am too. Um, it's... I'd, I'd like to see Sochi in the rain, um, but then I also just want racing, just any type of racing, I don't care. Um, and then, but then you've got the likes of George Russell in qualifying in Spa. He done amazing in the rain. And if Lando Norris obviously didn't crash out, he could have potentially stuck it on pole. In, in the rain, so it, it's two young, talented drivers who we all know can do well in the rain. I'd like to see how they do at this track. Um, and that might mix the order up a bit more for obviously the race. Um, but then if it rains too much on the Sunday, obviously, and they do the whole um, one lap and Twitter will go into a big commotion once again, I don't think many fans will be happy about it. Um, but it's just wait and see. No one, the the weather changes all the time, so no one can know what's going on. No, I think with a wet race, I mean, you know, it would provide another challenge, no matter which car you're in, you know, whether you're in a Mercedes or in a Red Bull or in a Haas. It'll still provide another dramatic Grand Prix itself. I mean, given all the races we've had so far this year that have been pretty much excellent, 
Um, I mean, maybe apart from Monaco, which did, couldn't provide any action as expected, we've always seen something significant in each of the rounds so far. And I think Russia will be no exception. We'll go on some news, guys, and it's in regards to Aston Martin, who have confirmed an unchanged 2022 driver lineup. Now, Aston Martin has formally confirmed it will continue to field Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll in Formula One next season. Vettel joined Aston Martin from Ferrari on a multi-year deal while Stroll, son of team owner Lawrence, has competed for the squad since its Racing Point era in 2019. Vettel holds 12th in this year's championship on 35 points, having taken a podium finish in Azerbaijan. Stroll occupies 13th spot on 24 points, registering his highest result at the most recent race in Italy. The pair had been expected to continue into 2022, and on Thursday, Aston Martin officially communicated such confirmation. I'm really looking forward to racing the new generation of Formula One cars, said Vettel. Their look is very different, and the new technical regulations should give us cars that can race much more closely than recently. More exciting racing would be great for the drivers as well as for the fans. The changes are so big that every team will be starting from a new beginning, so it will be a great opportunity for us. I believe in the strength of our new growing team, so I am already looking forward to 2022. Added Stroll, next season I will be embarking on my sixth year in Formula One alongside my teammate Sebastian. We started this, uh, we started this Aston Martin campaign together and I greatly look forward to continuing the journey with him next year. We have not achieved what we set out to do this year, but that has only amplified our hunger and drive for success next season. And I think that's good news as well, guys, because Vettel staying in Form 1, there was a slight rumour going on saying maybe he could possibly retire, which I never believe one bit. I always believe that if you start in a project, you finish it. And Vicky, I think for Sebastian to remain in Formula 1 as well with Aston Martin, going into these ground effect machines, which are going to be introduced next year, it can only be good news for him and for the fans. Yeah, definitely. With Seb, we obviously saw that he ended up struggling towards the end of his years with Ferrari and seeing him look more happy at Aston Martin. He's got a podium at Azerbaijan and he's scoring points. He's doing well. That I think for everybody, it's nice to see Seb doing well. And I think the team relationship between him and Lance is a really good pairing as well. Nathan, since Sebastian Vettel had left Red Bull in 2013, he's only picked up 14 victories in the last seven seasons, including this one. But I'm, I'm confident that he can succeed in a team which is growing and growing and growing. I do feel it's made a step backwards from what was Racing Point, but I think for a new project with Aston Martin, you can't expect it to be on the same page as what it was in the Racing Point of last year, but it can only go forwards rather than the backwards the backward step it has made this year. Yeah, it's a solid step, uh, so, so solid place for the Aston Martin project to start and for Vettel to get a podium in his first year with Aston was a, a real boost for him personally after especially a very difficult 2020 with Ferrari who had a, a, a really bad season themselves uh, alongside Charlotte Claire. So uh, yeah, it's been a very confidence-boosting season. Uh, Sebastian able to establish himself early in the team alongside Lance Stroll and yeah should be able to, to build this project now year on year and to see battle with Aston and Alonso with Alpine two uh, multiple world champions building these projects up into the new generation of Formula One 
will be uh, very interesting to see how they get on. Jordan, um, Lance Stroll is going into his sixth year in Formula One. If you remember, you know, he's done a reasonably good job in the Williams, actually. You know, his first year in 2017, that was comprised of his podium finish in Baku. Recently, he picked up his best result of the season in seventh. The last points finish before that was at Silverstone. But I think Stroll has still done a reasonably good job. But I still think there's more to come from Stroll than what meets the eye. Yeah, I agree. I did think he would do a little bit better than he has but only because he knows the team and the car a lot better than Vettel um but I don't think this is what just what we're going to see from him I think next year could really shake things up and anyone could be in the mix including obviously Stroll himself um but he's he's young and he's got passion to want to be up there fighting for more points, podiums um, and stuff like that. And they, uh, the Aston Martin have got a good car this year, otherwise Vettel wouldn't have been on the podium um, and they wouldn't have scored as many points as they've got. So I think it's just, Stroll's just got to find his like, way with the car and then we'll see a lot more from him. Mm-hmm. And Aston Martin's confirmation of their driver lineup for 2022 means that there's only one seat remaining um, to be filled for the 2022 grid at Alfa Romeo. Valtteri Bus has already confirmed that his teammate has yet to be confirmed. But it looks as though at this moment of time that Guan Yuzhou is the favourite to fill in the seat. But Alfa Romeo are also con- considering another four or five drivers actually for that seat as well. So we'll have to wait and see um, within the next few weeks on how I think this Sochi round of Formula 2 is going to go, because I think Oscar Piastri's name has been mentioned a few times, but whether it'll be him or Joe or someone else in that Alfa Romeo seat replacing Antonio Giovinazzi remains to be seen. Or it could well be Giovinazzi in the car next year, who knows? But we'll have to wait and see further down the line. Let's go to some technical insight, guys, on the changes potentially for 2025, and that's to do with the... uh, Thing to do with the engine or technical regulations. So the future of Formula One is just five months away with a set of new technical regulations to debut in 2022, but there's already talk of further changes for 2025 and 26. So let's take a look at what might change. So F1 has been trying to attract more manufacturers with the primary aim of making itself an attractive place to be for major car manufacturers. The FIA and Formula One have already introduced a budget cap and new rules which aim to increase excitement, but question marks remain over the very expensive power unit. 2025 has been earmarked as the year a new power unit will be introduced as it falls 12 years after the introduction of the last engine, which is the current 1.6 litre V6 engine with two hybrid elements, though there is now talk of pushing this back to 2026. One of the FIA's primary focuses is to introduce a more environmentally sustainable future with the adoption of ecofuels and oils, which will come from a recycled organic waste. This will partly happen as soon as next year with a greener fuel before gradually ramping things up until the fuel is 100% eco. Next year sees the introduction of a new set of rules that will see cars that are completely different in terms of aerodynamics. As we know, the ground effects will become predominant in the generation of downforce in order to reduce the sensitivity to turbulence of the wings. The adoption of Venturi tunnels in the lower parts of the car will allow next year's single seaters to have high efficiency downforce without suffering drag. 
This will make it possible to increase the battles on the track, even outside the DRS zones, as the driver who follows the car closely will not suffer as great an aerodynamic disturbance. With the standardization of many mechanical components, there will be a small leveling and balance between the teams, a choice that goes against what is the true spirit of Formula One and technological research, but something the FIA and Liberty Media have evaluated as a potential element to cut costs without going against the true DNA of the sport. To attract the entry, sorry, to attract the entry of new manufacturers, F1 is going closer to road cars in terms of components, obviously without losing the characteristics that distinguish a racing car from a road car. Many manufacturers choose prototype or sports car competitions, such as the World Endurance Championship, as many parts used in competition derive directly from their road-going counterparts. This obviously allows a manufacturer to exhibit, uh, to exhibit exactly what it's trying to sell. F1 is taking a small step in that direction with the move to 18-inch rims up from 13-inch, which will bring them in line with the wheels used on the roads. On the power unit front, Formula 1 intends to increasingly make the move towards the electric electrification, but without entirely abandoning the combustion engine. The idea of the FIA and Stefano Domenicali, the Formula 1 CEO himself, is to give a greater emphasis to the electrical part, which with motor generators and batteries capable of providing more than 30% of the total power. Car groups such as Audi and Volkswagen are looking closely at the future of Formula One, considering a possible entry as a way to continue researching electric powertrains. One of the main problems to be addressed is that of cost reduction. Current engines have a very high cost, which between production and development weigh heavily on the manufacturer's budgets. Honda's farewell shook the Formula One world and kicked off an acceleration of Formula One action for the future. One of the aspects that has been evaluated to reduce engine costs is to abandon the motor generator that collects energy from the combustion gases of the internal combustion engine, or ICE for short, namely the MGUH. The idea seems to be shared by most of the current manufacturers and a viable economic alternative must be considered. The MGUH motor generator contributes most of the energy recovery, making current engines extremely efficient from this point of view. One of the possible alternatives would be to introduce a second MGUK, which would recover the energy dissipated during braking from the front axle to be coupled to the one already pre uh, present for the rear brakes. Red Bull and Volkswagen would also like to switch to endothermic engines, more similar to road-going ones, with the idea of introducing an all-wheel drive V4 instead of the current 1,600-centimetre-cubed uh, rear-wheel drive V6. An idea that hasn't convinced the FIA or the other teams. The goal is to make F1 more sustainable and attractive to the manufacturers, but without losing the real nature of the competition, which is about the maximum pursuit of performance and technology. Nathan, we begin with you on this, with these changes. I don't know if you've seen the article yourself that Motorsport Week have just covered, but where do you, I don't, I know you're not an engineer or an aerodynamicist yourself, but where does Formula One need to go with this in order to make it a sustainable future and to attract new manufacturers to come into Formula One like Audi and Volkswagen? Because if you remember, they had like um, a meeting in Austria, didn't they? which we don't know what was being said or what's being concluded from that. But where do, you, where do we go about reducing costs to allow new teams or new entrants making it into Formula One? 
Yeah, it's a very uh, interesting position that Form finds itself in. They need to balance the need for electric development, still make the sport interesting and exciting enough, uh, which includes the, the thrill factor and the noise and the spectacle of the sport. So they, they, they've said that they're not going to go fully electric, which is perfectly understandable, because first of all, you're just copying another sport that's already out there in Formula E. And second of all, the, the, the noise factor, the thrill factor will subside somewhat. So uh, I think they'll stick with the current kind of V6 model. You said that Red Bull and VW are pushing for this V4 kind of model, but as Form 1 already has the infrastructure for, for a V6, that perhaps seems like the more logical solution at this point. But uh, we need to up um, the contribution to that's been generated by electric power considerably. Um, I'm not quite sure what the current proposals are. We're, we're, we're still very much in the dark uh, as to what is going to be decided, but hopefully we should get some more details in the coming months if, if this is going to be uh, implemented for 2025. Vicky, we've not had a fully, well, I say a fully fledged team, we've not had a team join the grid from scratch in Formula 1 since 2016 when Haas took over. And of course, since then, we've had Racing Point takeover from Force India, now Raston Martin and now from Renault taking over from Sauber and then Alpine taking over from Renault. But we've not had a, like a proper new team joining Formula 1 from scratch since 2016 with Haas. With these new potential engine regulations coming in in 2025 or 26, if they decide to push it back another year, what's the solution around this? And how would you go about reducing costs for you know, for a car or for an engine? Where, where, do, where do you see this going? Um, well, I think, like, if they bring another team in, so say Volkswagen, like, it would do good for the sparks. It'd bring the more drivers. Obviously, we're struggling at the moment with only having one seat left in Formula One. But having more team could potentially bring costs down. They'll have more drivers coming in, bringing more money with sponsorships. So... I'm not sure how it'd come about, but potentially with more teams, it'd be more drivers on the grid, more money coming in through sponsors. Mm -hmm. And uh, I perfectly agree. And, you know, Volkswagen, not only as in, you know, as a fully fledged Grand Prix team, but also being able to provide customer engines, if you like, to other teams as well, which would come in handy, actually. Because um, I know that Mercedes are supplying engines to four teams, including their own works team at Mercedes. And they won't be able to afford giving, you know, selling their own engines to another team on the grid. Jordan, I remember back in a year, 1988, that is, where some of the field were running turbocharged engines, so whether they were Honda or Ferrari or, or whatever, and the, the normally aspirated teams were all running like Ford Cosworth engines, whether it's a DFR or a DFV or a DFZ. We don't want a grid that's where half or most of the field running the Mercedes engine because it's the most powerful. We want there to be, at the very minimum for me, five or six different engine manufacturers coming into Formula One. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it would shake things up as well. I think it could make the championship a whole different kettle of fish, really. Um, but it's the fact of everything costs money nowadays. And obviously, VW have spoke about coming into F1 for a long time. Um, 
and they're waiting it out to see the new regulations and everything. So it's it's waiting to see about the money, it, which is just the reality of F1 now. So I think it'll be a long time before we have more like different engines in F1. And of course, um, I, I would be, I personally say that Volkswagen should just, you know, go for it really, um, just as of when they feel ready to um, to be doing it. Um, Nathan, what other manufacturers would, would you want to see? And is it possible for the for them to be um, joining Lucas? I know there's other teams like entries like this Panthera Team Asia, which hasn't been, you know, I haven't seen like a website of the team itself. Um, I don't know what you've seen in terms of teams wanting to join the Formula One grid um, anytime soon, but that was obviously being put back by the pandemic for sure. And of course, there's this um, 200 million US dollar um, entry fee they have to um, take into account. Yeah, I've not seen any teams that kind of all, I've not, I've not seen anyone particularly uh, destined in interest. Of course, we heard last month, uh, well, sorry, back in Austria, wasn't it? Uh, back in July, where VW and Audi joined the engine meetings, which was very interesting. And now uh, Audi have left Formula E. Possibly they might consider Formula One as a route for their development, but they need to see the reason why. Um, and the and the gains that they can get out of Formula One commercially, not just in terms of sporting interest. So um, there there is definitely potential with both of these big German manufacturers, but at the same time we need to not be too reliant on the manufacturers. I think if if we had where well, we got uh, kind of uh, four at the moment, if you include the Red Bull uh, tagged Honda. Uh, then Audi, VW, that would be up to six, which would be a, a more sensible number in terms of engine supply for Formula One. But in terms of uh, independent teams, hopefully we'll, we'll get some uh, more interest once the, the new engine regs become more concrete. But I think a few interested parties are just waiting for now. Mm -hmm. Another thing to add, Vicky, is what about teams which are affiliated with teams like Ferrari, Prima, for instance, who run their junior program in, um, in Formula 2 and other formulas, could they be considered as a particular engine? Although that would come at a sacrifice. But the thing is, the price range of entering Formula 1 is nowhere near like the, any of the junior series which they, um, they compete in. Yeah, with Prima and teams like Carlin, UNI Virtuosi, um, It'd be great to see like one of them teams step up into Formula One. We have Carlin who have the Formula Two, Formula Three, but then they're also in IndyCar with Max Chilton and then Prima do all majority of the juniors with like Formula Four, Formula Three, two regionals. So it'd be great to see them step up. But as we've said, it's money. All this sport is the money so it's like if they could afford to step up for that entry fee into formula one jordan um i mean 20 cars on a formula one grid is not enough for me i mean we could do with you know either 22 or 24 even 26 that way opens up more opportunities for the junior drivers and this is the most frustrating part about this sport is that there is not enough seats and it's, it's only a matter of time. I mean, we've had a 20-car Formula 1 grid since 2017 after um, Manor had pulled out after they initially went into administration and then folded all together. 
there needs to be a, a more sustainable way to keep these teams in the sport. And one thing to remember is the teams that finish in the lower end of the Constructors Championship, or the lower you finish in the Constructors, the more wind tunnel time you have. And I think in the long term that will help, but I think that's only the beginning of a long project to help these established teams remain in the sport altogether, as well as the new ones. Yeah, I think there, there needs to be more teams because you've got the likes of Calamala, you've got obviously Oscar Piastri, not, he hasn't won F2 yet, but it's looking like as if he won't get a seat for next year, which means he'll be sitting out on the sidelines um, for a year, which no one wants to do. Um, but one interesting thing, what someone said to me a little while back was that all the teams in F1 should have a third seat and that third seat go to a rookie for two years and then that rookie can go where they want which I thought wasn't a bad idea but then obviously the, the budget it's it's money so if if teams aren't joining why would then they add another third car to their own team um but I, I just I just don't know if we will see any more teams join in the next five years yeah you mentioned about um teams fielding like rookie drivers and i think that's something that's going to be starting from next year nathan because if you remember when all of this was put together in 2019 that was going to be set for 21 until it was moved back another year because of the pandemic drivers who have done two grand prix or competed in two grand prix or less each and every team on a given number of occasions have to field a rookie driver during a practice session so for instance red bull have to field i don't know sergio sete camera because he's one of their reserve drivers i mean sergio camera i personally rate but i don't know if he's ready for formula one but red bull should field him just to give him some official practice experience in a car um who else have we got i mean alfa romeo have got a whole bunch of reser different reserve drivers like cal mylot who's already got experience in an fp1 session and this can only be good news, but it's not the big step in the right direction as much as people hope it will be, but at least it's still a good step in the right direction. Yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction. It gives these drivers exposure to the Formula One community. It gives them track time in a Formula One car, which they otherwise wouldn't have. But I should say it's not a big step in the direction to getting them full time on a Formula One grid. And this is, as you say, one of the most frustrating things about Formula One, that there are never enough seats. So it's always a balance. I, I don't personally rate this kind of third car idea because it's going to give the big teams ultimately too much power and too much control, which the FIA needs to uh, ensure that they do not have because then we get into a situation of dominance in the sport, which is just not not very good for Formula One so um, I think ultimately they just need to try and make the sport more attractive to more independent and manufacturer outfits and then there'll be more seats on the grid for more drivers in the future. I mean there's another thing with these rookie drivers wanting to get into Formula One and sometimes they're not placed where they are supposed to be Vicky with all the achievements they've made. I mean you look at Oscar Piastri, for instance. I mean, someone, I think, had a go at 
either me or um, our guest last week about not mentioning Oscar Piastri, about the fact that he's the only driver to have won the Formula Renault Eurocup, Formula 3 and Formula 2 in a row. He's the only driver, well, could potentially do that. He hasn't won the Formula 2 Championship, but he's in the lead of the Championship anyway. But do you see where I'm coming from? A lot of these drivers who do so well in the Junior Series don't ever get a chance in Formula 1. Yeah, we've seen that with, like, we saw Nick DeFries winning the Formula 2 Championship and then he didn't have a seat in Formula 1 and he went to Formula E and now he's winning Formula E. And you think, oh, Nick DeFries should have a seat in Formula 1, but he doesn't. Oscar Piastri, he's Renault Cup, Formula 3, in Formula 2. He's the only driver in Formula 2 this year to get on the podium in each one, each of the rounds, finally getting his podium in uh, his winning Monza. And you don't see him getting even like a practice session or getting that experience of being in a Formula One weekend. Um, and then even in Formula One this year with um, Nikita Mazepin, he didn't, he wasn't linked with a Formula One team, I don't think but he went and didn't have any practice sessions in Formula One and he stepped into the rookie car, into the car at Haas. And you see that he has struggled trying with the pressure of Formula One and being in a completely different car to Formula Two. So there needs to be something to give these junior drivers a chance, but then also the practice they need to be in a Formula One car. Jordan, what's the next step then now that we've got this thing of for next year where on a given number of occasions a team needs to field a rookie driver um i suppose it's just a matter of time before we do hear any sort of news with a team coming into formula one um you mentioned you don't we don't think we'll see it for the next five years we just need to hear more about the engine regulations really for 2025 i mean i remember back in 2012 or 2013 you know finding out the news of this v6 turbo hybrid 1.6 litre engine and I think this is the problem I think the turbocharged engines are becoming more expensive now or they were more expensive to begin with than the normally aspirated ones and I think during the days of the normally aspirated era we were seeing more teams coming into Formula One i.e you know Midland taking over from Jordan, Taurus are taking over from Minardi they've become more competitive back then than they were like in the Jordan days like towards the end of the Jordan days and of course Super Aguri which didn't last but still we're still seeing more teams come into form on that way. Whereas in the Toba hybrid era, the only team that's joined the grid from scratch is Haas. Yeah, I think everyone who wants to come into F1, which obviously you've got a couple, um, is just waiting. They're waiting to see how it will play out. Um, they don't want to jump into F1 and then it just go horribly downhill and then they'll have to pull out because no one wants that. You want that you want to stay in F1 as long as possible, like Ferrari, Williams, McLaren. Um, so for has to be the last team which has come into F1 and they do have their money issues. Everyone knows that Haas are the team which are down the bottom for the majority of the past couple of years. It, it must be hard for a, a, t a team wanting to come in to look at Haas and be like, well, 
hold on a minute, they're struggling, why should we then enter in F1 and potentially be the same? It, I think they're just waiting for something to happen and then I think when someone does finally come in, there'll be maybe one or two teams. Possibly as well. And, you know, hopefully we'll hear some more news in regards to, you know, maybe when the next engine um, regulations meeting with Audi or Volkswagen or even Honda, because if Honda decides to make a U-turn and think, well, we're opting out for now, but when the engine regulations do come in in 25 or in 26, that's when we'll, um, you know, jump ship back into um, Formula One, which, you know, it pretty much like the Renault U-turn of the the early noughties, only a few years after they pulled out when they were partnering up with Williams and, um, and Benetton back then, even though they were winning championships at the time. So going back to the Russian Grand Prix weekend, guys, um, let's talk a bit about McLaren because obviously they'll be in good spirits on the back of that magnificent one-two finish with Dan Ricciardo bringing a bright smile back on his face. Vicky, we begin with you this time. Are we going to see the Daniel Ricciardo of which we've been waiting for since his days at Red Bull or is normality going to resume? Well, we obviously saw Daniel looking like Daniel again. We saw three three race weekends ago. We saw him sat by his car at the end, just looking like he didn't want to be there anymore. But then he came back Monday. He had a brilliant sprint qualify, brilliant qualifying, brilliant sprint qualifying, brilliant race. He led all the majority of the laps apart from when he pitted. And seeing him and then also with Lando, both one, two, bringing back all the races. So hopefully we'll have the Daniel from Red Bull back. And he seems more comfortable in the car now. Like he's had that time to adjust to the McLaren from the Renault. So yeah, hopefully we've got the Daniel Ricciardo, Red Bull Daniel Ricciardo back. Yeah. Nathan, McLaren this weekend, you know, with the Mercedes engine, which should go well um, in Sochi, I don't know what the weather is going to be like. I mean, we've mentioned about the weather already, but McLaren should aim for a strong weekend. I think the priority, though, is to make sure they finish out of Ferrari, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Despite the one-two finish, it's still relatively close between McLaren and Ferrari heading into the last few rounds of the season. And yeah, McLaren have got another great opportunity to bag, uh, possibly even a podium finish with Verstappen's penalties. So... Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be eyeing a, a very strong result around a track where they'll go well due to the Mercedes power unit in the back of both their cars. And hopefully with Ricardo strong uh, off the back of his win, um, he'll, he'll be feeling very confident and he can um, put together another strong performance alongside a very informed Lando Norris. So, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be hoping to beat both Ferraris this weekend. Jordan, Ferrari going to the weekend in Sochi on a track where they've been on pole position at a couple of times in 2017 and in 2019. You know, they got a good haul of points, but still finished behind McLaren and McLaren are opening up that gap. So Ferrari needs to fight back, really, and um, take the fight to McLaren. I mean, we've still got a fair number of races left, but these races are going to be coming in quite quickly now, aren't they? Yeah, I think... If it's time for Ferrari to get a move on, it'll be this weekend. Um, obviously, it must have hurt it being at their home race and their main competitor being a one-two when they finished 
um, a little bit lower. Um, and just like you said, coming to, coming to an end of the season and the races are coming like nothing. Um, so Ferrari do kind of need to get their act together if they do want to finish P3 in the constructors. Um, but it will be interesting to see who comes out on top this weekend, either McLaren or Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Vicky, um, Alvatari, um, they had one of the worst weekends of the season, if not the worst weekend um, at Monza. I mean, Pierre Gasly crashing out in the qualifying sprint on the Saturday. Only retiring after a few laps, um, that was contributed by the crash the day before, and Snowden not even making it to the start due to brake problems. Um, so it's redemption time. It definitely is. Um, we have seen in the media with Yuki Sonoda saying that he was surprised that AlphaTauri have kept him on for the coming year. And Gasly has had some good races. He's been up in fifth, sixth, fourth in some of the races, but especially after last weekend with them both, one crashing, mechanical problems with Sonoda's car that they need to pull it together this weekend. and. Hopefully they can do something to try and keep the constructors going, but yeah, they need to pull it together this weekend, both try and score some decent points for the team. Jordan, AlphaTauri, one of the surprise packages um, for this season. I've, I've, I've very much enjoyed seeing them, you know, particularly uh, some glimpses of Sonoda, but um, there's still more to come, I think, from AlphaTauri. I mean, hopefully we'll see both Gasly and Sonoda in the points in Sochi. How will Sonoda be feeling? Because David Coulthard had a bit of a um, had a bit of a swipe at Sonoda actually by simply saying, you know, Sonoda should pack his bag and um, and go home. Because um, I think that was in response to saying that Sonoda had admitted that he was surprised that he was given another year at Alvatari with the season he's had. How did you see it? Um. Well, it's a bit of a tough one. It's obviously Yuki's first year in F1, um, same as Mick, Mazepin. Um, you expect to make mistakes, um, but you can never say how many you are going to make. It's, it's a learning curve. You can't expect them to be scoring points every single race in their first year. Um, I think what's made people have that assumption of Yuki is the fact that he scored in his very first race um, this year. And then he went on a bit of a downwards, obviously had a couple of crashes, so on. Um, and then obviously his radio, radio responses, um, which in the moment you're angry. Everyone gets angry in the moment. Um, but it's made this kind of perception of him as he shouldn't be there. He doesn't talk nice to his team. He crashes. Um, but then it's 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 heat, heat of the moment, like I said. And I don't think he should be out of the sport. I think he deserves a place. He was good last year in F2. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't be here, simply. Um, so... I think it was a bit harsh what Kulfar said, but then he knows a lot more what goes on because he attends the races, unlike the fans, and behind, he can see behind the scenes and so on. So there might be something we don't know, but then 
everyone could just know what he knows. So it's a bit tough. Yeah. Nathan, how have you summed up Alpatari this year? I mean, Sonoda, I think some fans say that, you know, he hasn't been as good as what he could have been, or maybe he's jumped ship into Formula One a bit too soon. But I think towards the end of the year, given the number of race experience he's had now, isn't it? He's had 14 races, well, 13 if you want to exclude the, um, the non-start at Monza. But towards the end of the year, I think we should expect to see the better Sonoda. Having said that, we've got a completely different car next year. So I think this year was more of a learning curve and more of a, what was it called? A consolation year for Sonoda to get to grips with Formula One and hope that next year will be an even better year for him. Yeah, he needs to start delivering now. You know, he, he's made quite a, a few mistakes this season after a promising start in Bahrain. So yeah, this is, this is definitely a season for him to get to grips with Formula One and to show to the world what, what he can do. And then going into next year with new regulations, he'll, he'll hope to take the fight to a very established, very experienced uh, teammate in Pierre Gasly. And I think Red Bull uh, re-signing him, I think it's deserved in because he's had uh, a few good points finishes, he has strong finishes in uh, Azerbaijan and in Hungary, but he, he needs to iron out the mistakes if he, if he wants to stay in Formula One long term. Um, he's, of, of course, had a, a bit of criticism from, from various people, and if he uh, wants to establish himself as one of uh, the informed drivers for the next decade, he needs to iron out the mistakes and start to put a bit of consistency together, which he has thus far lacked in his Formula One career. And of course, the Russian Grand Prix is the home race for Nikita Mazepin, racing for the first time in front of his home fans. Jordan, um, Mazepin has not had the best of seasons so far. You know, he's been out-qualified by Schumacher. I think, well, I think it's on 11 out of 14 races. I think the last time out of Monza in the qualifying sprint, he finished ahead of him, hence why he's out-qualified him. And the other two events which he's out-qualified him, or one other event, is in, in Monaco. But that's because Mick Schumacher crashed his car out in free practice three, hence why he wasn't able to take part in qualifying then. Mazepin needs a good weekend. I think he needs to put a smile back on the, his home fans in what's been quite a troublesome year for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, he obviously gets a lot of hate, which isn't the best thing. And he, he carries that round on his shoulders. Um, and it must be tough for him. Being first year in F1, yeah, he's made some mistakes on track and off track, but at the end of the day, we, we're here to watch the racing. That's it. We, we, we like to watch the racing. If he crashes, he crashes, but it's how he performs on track. Obviously, being out-qualified by his teammate by quite a lot is tough, but with his home crowd in front of him this weekend, hopefully he can maybe out-qualify Mick for once. And um, it'll be interesting to see how he does, if he has any pressure on him, so on. Um, so I'm looking to see what he does this weekend and see if he can pull anything special out of the house. Mm -hmm. Vicky, um, Mazepin's best race result this year, is if I can find it, it's been a 14th, 
place finish in Baku. You have to say that this is a weekend where he needs to do well, although with the performance of the house, which is not going to be developed anymore between now and the end of the year, he's just going to you know, pick up whatever he can, really. Yeah, we all know that the Haas this year isn't a car what has been competing. And the Azerbaijan 14th place for Mazepin was due to him having a bit of a better performance, but then there was a few crashes. So it was banking on other people's mistakes why Mazepin got moved up into 14th. Um, if I remember correctly, when he was in Formula 2, when they went to Sochi last year, he did pretty well. Um, so hopefully in front of his home fans, his home crowd, he'll be able to get a decent performance or as much of a decent performance as he can in a house and maybe out qualifying uh, Schumacher, but we'll have to see. Nathan, um, Nikita has previously done well in Russia, uh, in, uh, in Sochi and we've got to remember that accident he had in, um, I think in one of the races in F2 in 2019 involving him. Jack Aiken and Nobuhiro Matsushita. He just needs to make sure he keeps his car clean through that first braking zone of turn two. And then pretty much from then on, it should be all right. But I think the only driver he's going to be battling with is Mick. Yeah, it's going to be a, a tricky weekend again for, for Mazepin, but he just needs to try and keep it clean. Uh, for me, he's been involved in too many incidents with his teammate Mick Schumacher. And he just needs to try and put together some decent weekends where he just uh, puts together a decent qualifying performance and just brings home the, the whatever result he can bargain for in, in the race. He's um, been, had a bit of a, a bad reputation, I think you could say, ever since he joined Formula One. So just a, a smooth, consistent weekend in front of his home fans is, is what he needs. Mm -hmm. So he must be going, will be aiming to get the best possible result. Um, at his home venue um, in Sochi. And some um, other bits of uh, news to just mention as well, that Kimi Raikkonen is expected to return to action after missing um, the Italian and Dutch Grand Prix as he contracted COVID-19 during that time. But providing he is tested negative for the virus um, prior to the race weekend, he will be back in the Alfa Romeo seat. Predictions time, guys. We'll start with you, Jordan. We'll start with you for this. Who will be on pole position and who will be in the top three? Bearing in mind, it could rain this weekend. Um, so I'm going to say Hamilton pole. Um, first, I would say uh, Hamilton again. And then I think... Obviously, team orders will be in place, so Bottas second, and then possibly Lando Norris in third. Okay. Nathan, who is your pole sitter and your top three for the race? I'm going to go off the back of a, a good performance in Italy, Bottas on pole with Hamilton winning the race from Verstappen and Bottas in Okay. Vicky, your pole sitter and your top three finishers, please. So same as Jordan, with it looking like it could be a wet qualifying, and we know what Lewis is like in the wet. Um, Lewis for pole, and then yet again, it could be raining. So Lewis for the win from Max, and then 
I think Lando could get third. And my predictions would be for the wet qualifying session in Sochi, I think Bottas will get pole. I think with his knowledge of the circuit and given that anything can happen in a wet qualifying session, I think he's got everything in his pocket that he can do it. But in the race, though, I expect Lewis to win and for Valtteri to fend off Max. So that's my top three there. I think Bottas needs to do the utmost he can do to fend off Max and help Lewis in the championship race. We'll leave it there, guys. Thank you to everyone who's listened to the show. Next week, LA Wilshaw and Jack Berry will be with me to review the Russian Grand Prix in Sochi. From Jordan, Nathan, Vicky and all of us at Motorsport Week, enjoy the racing this weekend and it's goodbye.